Welcome to the What's Literacy Got to Do With It podcast, a podcast for exploring all things literacy in Quebec and beyond. Literacy is more than knowing how to read and write. It's also about empowering each other and yourself to thrive throughout all aspects of our lives. We're your hosts, Jamie Cudmore and Chris Shee. Let's get to it. Welcome, Welcome everybody. Back. Hey. It's hey, hey. The second episode. Second episode of season eight already. We're flying. Oh, my God. Before the November 7th municipal elections. Wow. Yeah. Cruising. It's the What's Literacy Got to Do With It podcast. I'm Jamie. This um, is Chris. Christopher. Hey, y'all. Great to have you on. Yeah. So, on this week's episode, we're continuing our series on civic literacy which is kind of the understanding of, of voting and the, the political process and, and so forth so that you can get a greater understanding of getting involved and making changes and voting and having your voice heard by leaders. Yeah, our theme this week, as Chris said, we're continuing and we're thinking about civic participation, storytelling and community building. So we are talking about how all of this can help strengthen our communities and what our role is in that. Who do we have up first? We have Mr. Greg Kelly, MNA, member of the National Assembly for Quebec and podcast host. And we have Sarah Vresk, the project administrator for Suspicious Fish, a literacy and arts nonprofit. So, Jamie, do you want to introduce Greg off the bat? For sure. So Greg Kelly, MNA, member of the National Assembly of Quebec. So that's at the provincial level has been an advocate for improving access for English speakers to French classes, comes from a family of politicians, and is also the host of his own podcast, which aims to share with listeners a more open side of politics in Quebec. So have a listen. We're live here with Mr. Greg Kelly, MA of Quebec. How are you going? <laughs> I'm doing very well. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on uh, the show uh, today. Uh, I've just forewarned for people out there, if you hear a dog barking <laughs> or uh, me moving my arm, it's because I'm petting Biggie, my pup, who's uh, right next to me. So, uh, but again, thanks for having me on today. Yeah, it's great. It's great. So you're, you're, we're coming all the way from, from uh, Montreal and I'm in the West, in the West Island. Are you in the, in the Western part of, of Montreal? Um, actually, I live in the uh, I live downtown Montreal at the moment okay. with my wife, who we just got married uh, three weeks ago. So uh, re- relatively new. Congratulations! And she's the MNA. Thank you very much. She's the MNA for Cédarin uh, Marois-Risky. So uh, she, uh, we're from the same political family, same job. Uh, but yeah, so we have a great home here with uh, a great family with our little pup Biggie. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic, and uh, and I, I must admit, I I was going to ask you about your your lovely wife and and kind of. Um, how you roll with with being in politics together and and those sorts of things, but I I jumped on your uh, Twitter and I, I noticed that you're a you're a sports fan as well, <laughs> and so you oh, yeah. follow that, you, you, the the Raptors, the Habs, but also the the Packers as well. So you 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 follow a bit of the Green Bay Packers as well. Um, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a huge sports junkie. I mean, it's kind of like. Uh, Politics is very intense and all-consuming, right? There's always yeah. something being reported in the news. So I find sports 
is kind of a good way to unplug, which, you know, that's the, the, the hmm. truth for all sports fans out there to follow a team and kind of give you something to uh, keep your mind occupied and think about that has nothing to really do with work. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm all for it. And I grew up, I was a water polo player when I grew up and I, you know, I played ice hockey, like all, you know, Canadians pretty much do right of passage, but, uh, I'm a huge football fan. I love the green Bay Packers uh, religiously. I almost never miss a game, never miss a snap. Uh, and of course, I mean, I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan through and through. Uh, and I, in high school, the, the, when the Raptors had a really good team, when I was, you know, about 14, 15 years old and they had Vince Carter, yeah. I fell absolutely in love with basketball. And when I was in high school, it, it was the sport. Everyone played pickup basketball all the time. Everybody wanted to be like Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter, you know, yep. Kobe Bryant. You go down the list. It was uh, a huge sport. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just – I'm definitely a sports guy at, <laughs> at heart. It's awesome. And really, yeah, no, absolutely. And and Nawa herself was a big basketball fan. So she played basketball yeah. growing up. So we have a – at least right. we have a common shared interest there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Well, basketball was my first love too. D- did you ever get into trading cards? And back then in the day, did you did you guys trade cards? Or wasn't kind of lost its momentum a bit? Um, you know, through the I guess late nineties and early two thousands and stuff, and then it's just come coming back. I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I had a huge card collection growing up, and I think it pretty much all got destroyed in blood <laughs> a couple of years ago. Oh, no. Growing up, I definitely, I definitely collected cards. Okay. Um, and there was definitely trading, and also that game Pog, which was big in in here. We played a lot of Pogs in elementary school too, which we traded. But yeah, there was no doubt, and I remember too. You know, like McDonald's would have those All Star series of cards they would get, and you would okay. definitely trade with your your friends to try to get the full set and all that. <laughs> nice, yeah, I, I'm down with that too. And I, and I I just noticed actually on your Twitter too, you just shared that amazing second goal against Panama, um, the Canadian player that so the World Cup qualifier and and that that run chase down goal that was incredible. Did I, I didn't even know they were playing yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, I know. And look, I'm uh, on my list of sports too. I mean, I play a lot of golf now. I'm a big golf fan. Uh, soccer is one of those things that I've never got into club soccer. I mean, I, I cheer for the, the uh, it not, it's not the impact anymore, the, the Montreal Football Club. Yes. Um, but the Club de Montreal. Uh, but I, I, you know, whenever the World Cup was on, whenever, um, you know, the Euro Cup was on, I loved watching games. I love the atmosphere that it creates in Montreal because people just get so pumped up. Yeah. And, you know, especially since Montreal's kind of the United Nations, there's people who are here from all different parts of the world and you can go to any kind of pub and who, no matter who's playing, there'll be fans there and, and you know, getting really excited. So I'm just happy to see that Team Canada, it's not done yet, but they're in good position to maybe qualify for the World Cup which is something that I've never seen in my lifetime. And I would be so thrilled if Team Canada made it. And who knows, maybe even try to make the effort to go see Team Canada play. But that Davies goal, I mean, I know in soccer, goals are always incredible. But that one, I I don't think I've ever seen a goal where somebody just flew down the wing, does an incredible move to keep the ball inbounds, and then just goes in and finishes. I mean, a real he's a real special talent. So uh, Canada seems to be through in a long time in a very good position uh, soccer wise so um yeah and females as well yeah the, the crowd in Toronto yesterday too was just wild and I'm watching the Habs game a little bit and I'm like the fans are so boring here it's like they don't even want to be at the game 
And then you flip over to the Canada game and wow, people are just, the, the stands were electric. The fans were going crazy. So uh, I think I think soccer is alive and well in Canada right now for men and for women. So that's that's great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Gold medalists go the the females that won the won the uh, the, the yeah, Olympic yeah. gold. Incredible. But uh, well, th- yeah. thanks. I mean, so Greg, do you want to just give give our audience a bit of a an intro to Greg Kelly, a bit of bit of background, bit of um, introduction to yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, uh, I. First of all, I'm the MA for the member of the National Assembly uh, for Jacques Cartier. So my riding consists of the municipalities of Point Claire, Beaconsfield, Baderfay, St. Anne de Bellevue, and uh, Senneville. Um, I grew up, I grew up in, in Beaconsfield. Uh, I went to Beacon Hill Elementary, Beaconsfield High School, went to CJEP at John Abbott out in uh, St. Anne de Bellevue, uh, studied at McGill in history and political science, did a master's at Queens in public administration and started to do a law degree. So, I mean, that's my professional tract. I wow. also come from a family. Uh, I have four sisters. I'm right in the middle. Um, and, you know, we grew up in the West Island playing all the sports, lifeguarding, uh, really, you know, being part of the community. My grandparents were big volunteers for the Children's Hospital for election campaigns, uh, which was a tradition that was passed along definitely to my, my dad and my my mom, too, big community person. So, we, you know, come from a family that we like to be involved in and, and, you know, help our community as much as possible. And um, professionally, uh, when I was done, uh, you know, uh, studying my uh, master's in public administration, which is basically how do you, you know, how does government work and how do you write policy? I uh, took a job working as a political assistant to the Minister of Indigenous Relations at the time, Pierre Corbet, who was a minister in Jean Charest's cabinet. So I joined in about 2010, 2011, doing that type of work. Stayed with them until the Liberals lost under Jean Charest to Pauline Marois in uh, 2013, uh, 2012. And then in 2014, when Philip Couillard won a majority government, I went to go work for Jean-Marc Fournier in Canadian relations and in his job as leader of the government, doing a lot of research and you know policy think documents for him. Um, and then I got a job working for the premier of Quebec himself, Philip Couillard, uh, working on relations with English speaking Quebecers and how could the government try and change and improve services to the community all across the province, which led to the government creating a, a secretariat for relations with English speaking Quebecers. And his first minister was Kathleen Weil. And I went to go work with her as her uh, chief of staff. Uh, and then when 2018 rolled around and elections came, I was lucky enough to replace the outgoing MA and Jacques Cartier, who was my dad, Jeff Kelly. And, uh, you know, I went out, sold membership cards, lobbied uh, the party very hard that I was the right candidate for the job. And lo and behold, I was the uh, one of the last nominations to be named to the riding. But uh, I, uh, it's a great honor and privilege That's to be awesome. able to represent my community where I do. Um, and I always keep their, you know, voices, concerns, and spirits uh, in my head when I go to the National Assembly and I sit in that chair, which is belongs to the people. It's a real true honor and privilege. So that's yeah. a summary of who Greg Kelly is in uh, about a five-minute uh, Yeah, that's <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Well, it's good that you we can do that on this long format chat rather than, like you said before, the media where you only get 30 seconds of a snippet of what, what you talk about. And, uh, and so the audience only gets to know a little bit of Oh, Greg in a 30 yeah. second segment, but, um, and, and so, yeah, a lot of the, one of the, the big reasons why I would love to get you on today was because of the, 
the access that you've given kind of even English speakers of Quebec um, access to French classes and and you know a lot of lot of literacy is involved in that and uh, it's excellent so um, and uh, and plus plus you, you also uh, host your own podcast right so do you, yeah. you want to um, share a little bit about your, yeah. your host podcast sure. and so you I've- add on and- yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's like I started a podcast, uh, which I moved to doing a format on Facebook because I found it was a little bit easier to access people at large. So my Facebook show, which I, I typically do, is um, called Pints in Politics. And I, I do my best. Um, I restarted a, about two weeks ago just saying I'll, I'm going to come back, but I try to do it pretty much on Fridays. And that concept kind of came out, too, after uh, the lockdown. Um, that we had right. in January saying well, from January until about the spring, I figure I have the people's attention on Fridays because there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> but people <laughs> really not- did enjoy the fact that they are able to hear from me. So uh, for anyone out there who does listen to this, you can find me on uh, social media, you know, Gregory Kelly, MNA, uh, Jacques Cartier, uh, and, okay. or, and just add me on you know, my personal account, Gregory Kelly. And yeah, you can come, you know, I usually try to advertise about a day or two in advance to say who my guest is and encourage people to leave questions, comments. And it's a good way too, because a lot of people that do tune in and listen, there is a dialogue and you know people ask questions and we get put on the spot, we try to answer. But it's really, I think, a, a good way to reach out to people. And um, you know, uh, at some point, I kind of try to resume that format too. Live, I, I always wanted to try to get a sort of maybe once a month, go and have pints with people at a pub. Because I feel like politics in some ways, people let their guard down when you're in a pub and they're willing to sit and talk about politics. So, you know, I really think the dialogue is is so important. Um, Yes, politics is partisan, um, but at the same time, there is always and always has to be room for uh, discussion uh, and and debate in a respectful tone. So that's something that I always, you know, try to preach and and practice as best I can. Of course, I'm, I'm not perfect and politics can get under anyone's skin and get the best of you and make you, upset angry but i really try to keep a good calm cool reserve when i'm uh when i'm in public and when i'm in the national center <laughs> good good stuff for like in public and keeping cool look it's it's it seems like it's a relatable way to go about it in terms of having a pint at a pub you know and uh, respectful debate and and it it shows people that it, it's it's okay to have opposing views and debate about a topic um you know with with a lot of heat in a, in a respectful manner to to come to come to a conclusion to come to a, a forward making decision. So it's I think it's a great way to to go about it. Yeah, no, and that's a really good point because sometimes I find that um, particularly that people like say if they're a conservative and they know I'm a liberal, they won't want to like bring up their views with me. But it's like I'm not going to bite your head off because you're a conservative, right? And you know there there could be some conservative policy ideas that come out that I, I I could say, you know, that's a reasonable position where you're coming from, but I am a liberal and this is kind of what I believe, but just, just because we have differenting, you know, differencing views, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that I dislike you as a person or that I hate you because you are a, and I think that was one of the things I learned a lot, you know, growing up, you hear a lot about the separatist movement and sovereignists or this, and, you know, kind of the stereotypes and labeled in some ways that they're all monolithic. And, and it's not true. Like I've, gone to known members from the Parti Québécois and members from Quebec Solidaire and, you know, going to university, meeting new people, opens yeah. and broadens your horizons to realize to look, yeah, okay, maybe even on something as sensitive as a topic about the, you know, the, 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 
the Federation of Canada and whether or not we should be a country or not, you can, you know, once you kind of get past that point that, well, we disagree on, on that issue, there's a lot of things that I have in, in common with people on that, hey, we need to work on improving our education system. We need to work on improving our infrastructure. So in, you know, politics is the art of, of compromise, which is often said, and you have to sometimes look past those sometimes pretty big pieces of principles that you might, you know, really disagree with the other side and say, well, once we put aside our differences, what are, are our similarities? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. And, and that kind of brings me to the next, next phase, I guess, of our chat was in terms of um, maybe talking a little bit of civic literacy, maybe talking a little bit about how to, um, you know, civic engagement, how to get people motivated to voice and have their uh, vote and have their say, uh, like with the uh, municipals coming up soon in November, and then you know we just went through the the federal election and so forth. Um, yeah, do, you, do you have any thoughts on that? On on how to get people excited to to have their say and have and have a vote? Yeah, absolutely. And I think well, because I am talking with Literacy Quebec, not a bad idea to talk about how I'm at least one thing, and we can people listening to this on the language debate, we can all come from different angles on it and where we stand our positions. But one thing I'm very happy to see is that the government does want to work on the fact that, well, if you want to protect the French language, there remains a big challenge of literacy in Quebec. I um, mean, statistics remain, you know, uh, to the point where it, it's not something we should ignore, you know, and the, the value of the language lies in the ability of its people to be able to read and write uh, and speak the language to, the, you know, not to be perfect, but to, to, you know, the best of their capabilities. So I'm happy that we're going to try to make some more streamlining of, you know, access to French language courses free to all Quebecers. Um, I think that's a basic common goal that everyone shares, but it's an important one. And there also has to be an attitude too to encourage people go and approach these courses. Uh, you're not here to pass or fail. There's no diploma. It's really just for anyone right, who wants right. to improve their French language skills. You can do it. So I just wanted to, Place that little caveat in there that uh, if anyone says yeah. to you, if you're debating the month of 96, why you don't like it, well, what do you like about it? We'll talk about the fact we are speaking about better French language training for all Quebecers of all you know backgrounds. Um, but yeah, so uh, getting encouraged in municipal elections. Uh, this is the, you know, the thing is that there's so many services to at the municipal level. I mean, each, each you know, different level of government has its own responsibility. So, you know, the federal government, by and large, the big things that they handle uh, you know, are, of course, international relations. Uh, they're definitely very involved in setting climate targets and, and an agreement with other countries. Defense, uh, they do have a role in infrastructure for the country. Um, the provincial level, we're very much involved in health and, you know, education. Uh, those are big jurisdictional priorities of us. But then when you go and you look at the municipal level, a lot of it is like the day-to-day -day stuff that is so important to citizens. The garbage pickup, the managing of your local roads, the management of your local parks, um, right. and, and key infrastructure and kind of jump-starting businesses in the city. So for everyone out there that's sort of saying, oh, municipal politics, you know, a lot of those services that you probably take for granted come from good management of a city. And you obviously want to have people who are competent and who care about their community to go to you know the city hall, their local city hall, and say, hey, we need to improve, you know, our local recycling program because it's not very good. And that happens in lots of corners of Quebec that recycling we're still very far behind. Um, uh, again, management of parks uh, in some places, 
protection of green space for Quebecers is in paramount. It's good for your mental health. It's good for just your growth, you know, raising kids. Those are things you want to go and nag your city councilor and your mayor about. Um, and also, too, there remains municipal taxes. So, again, all those services are paid for by you. Um, and you should probably have a say in who you want to be the person really in charge and making sure that those taxes are well spent on public services. That's that's awesome distinction between municipal, you know, provincial and then federal. That that, that way listeners are going to understand that there's a difference there. And if they, they want some change in their local community that, you know, get out to the municipal election and actually go and have your say and, and have a chance to change, there's, make things better, like you yeah. said. Yeah, yeah. There's so much local, you know, issues in municipal politics that are important. And of course they do play into, you know, here in Montreal, you know, strategies uh, on social housing, fighting and, and reducing homelessness. Um, you know, those things do also come down to a, a municipal level and on a lot of fronts. Okay. Um, so, and again, like, just think of how important a community center that has a pool that has a skating rink is to the development of, of a community to give people a fair chance to get out be active. Um, if you want those types of services and those types of, of institutions in your community, it, it re requires strong local leadership. Um, right. And it is, of course, you know, if we're just talking about the Montreal scene, uh, Montreal is a big, diverse city um, and it has diverging views. So it's, it's, you know, it's important to listen to what everyone's saying. And um, again, like I said, there's so many things that you do care about on a, on a very day-to-day -day basis that cities are in charge of. So I really do encourage everyone, you know, with social media to get out there and figure out and learn a little bit more about candidates. They all have, you know, videos to make them accessible so you can hear a little bit more about what they're all about. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and again, I'll throw another one too that's really important at the municipal level for people up there. You know, public transportation is another big one. I, I almost yeah. forgot that like the city yeah. can use public transportation, right? And that's... Uh, for a lot of people who live in the city, uh, pretty darn important. <laughs> it's, it's very true. Yeah, thanks for thanks for chipping with with that in there because yeah. you're right. But I, I think it's a really good job of clarifying because I think the more people understand and more people have a uh, more clarity in their minds as to to what levels of of government make the changes that they're wanting to to see happen to progress to to get better, as you say, that they'll they're more likely to to go out and actually uh, make the effort and go, oh, you know, like I understand that I, I'm, by, by me having my say and putting in my vote at the municipal level, I've, I'm going to have more chances to uh, um, to actually see the change that I want to see. So I think it's really important. So yeah. thanks for thanks for sharing that. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's something too, um, you know, I wish that, I, I just seem to remember that it's not one of those things that was really reinforcing us to, to really kind of understand uh, just kind of the, the fundamentals of how our government does work because, um, you know, a lot of times I hear, and it, we even heard a little bit in the federal campaign, and this is not a, not a, I'm not, I'm not trying to critique, but, you know, someone like Jagmeet Singh would speak a lot about, well, how the NDP would change the healthcare system. But if you go to a lot of provinces, they'll say, well, the federal government doesn't run the healthcare system. That's the provincial job to do. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not to say that the federal government can't play a role like our healthcare system keeping it uh, universally uh, public, um, that is a standard that, you know, federal government can say you have to do this and every province has to meet these requirements. But then the federal government has a role to help finance that responsibility to the provinces. So it's always good to kind of just get those refreshers too, that, um, 
uh, in a lot of ways, uh, the roles are very different um, and each level of government has its own role to play. And that's all kind of been broken up and decided by the constitution that was founded, you know, written here in Canada in 1867 and agreed upon. It goes all the way back then. And, you know, it's kind of funny because something like telecommunications, nobody really would have ever thought it, it ended, it would end up becoming, you know, about cell phone towers, but uh, things like that yeah. were decided in 1867 will have a, an impact today on who controls it and who has jurisdiction over it. So, uh, it's, it's again, it's just those things too, that, uh, I, I always felt that sort of the civics growing up in Canada, we didn't talk enough about understanding exactly who's responsible for what, because in a day, everyone I know pays taxes and those taxes get spent on all those different responsibilities at each level. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely, and it, it's it's fascinating to hear that because you know back back when the jurisdiction's done, and then as as us humans evolve and things grow, and and you know as we go through history, those things come more and more into play, and and we're we're trying to uh, to work with them as a as a people, I guess. So, um, I mean, it's excellent. So, Greg, I, I guess um, you know before we wrap things up, and we is is there any uh, advice, uh, any more advice or any any sort of final thoughts that you would like to leave with our listeners about um, anything civic literacy or anything, you know, uh, what the, the future may hold or? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll give one shout out um, for, for anyone out there for at least on, on terms of literacy. Um, you know, I think one thing that's important is supporting local organizations like Literacy Quebec, looking them up and seeing how they can give a hand. Um, I guess also, too, to give a shout out to our local writers and, you know, people who produce content here in, in, in Quebec, uh, especially on the English side. Uh, we do have a, you know, a pretty vibrant you know, artistic cultural milieu here uh, in, in Quebec that is English still. So um, always think of that, too, that if you're going to buy a book, keep in mind your local English author and, and, and things like that is not a, not a bad idea. Uh, but again, that, um, you know, uh, investing in our school system remains one of the top priorities, not just in the, the brick and mortar, but also in our educators. Um, and we still have a lot of work to do that. There's a huge labor shortage that we're really kind of going into a phase. It's not something that you're going to hear people uh, stop talking about. It's not going away. Okay. We just have a population that is getting a bit older, uh, that is getting into the mode of retirement. But anyone out there who listens to this, never forget that if you are retiring and you're not going to be an educator anymore, uh, you're not forced to volunteer. But if you can give time to a local community organization like Literacy Connect, please do it because that's extremely important too. There are resources outside of our school system that do help, uh, you know, address things like e-literacy and and do encourage local artists and, and, and you know, encourage education on all fronts. So that would be my last uh, word of the day is just always try to give back to your community uh, if you have the free uh, time to do so. Hey, thanks for that plug, Greg. That's awesome. Thank you very much because, you know, like we have a, a lovely bunch of, you know, retired volunteers that are just loving doing what they're doing maybe some free you know tutoring one-on-one with some adult learners and stuff it's uh it's fantastic what what our, our community Absolutely. literacy councils are doing yeah so yeah. uh yeah i yeah, know for sure Pleasure well, chatting with you. Today. Yeah, and, thank you, Greg. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thanks for your time. Stay safe on the Madeline Islands. Yeah, that's <laughs> part of the world. So uh, we'll be in touch. All right. Hey, Greg, Mr. Greg Kelly, thank you very much for your time. You have a great day. <laughs> no problem. Take care, everyone. 
We hear from our friend Sarah Vresk at Suspicious Fish, a literacy and arts nonprofit based in Montreal. Sarah tells us about the release of their 10th anthology of youth stories from Verdun. And we hear a couple of the kids' stories read by actors. Can you believe it? It's awesome. Have a listen to learn more about Suspicious Fish and their in-person and online programming open to folks of all ages. Have a listen, y'all. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Why don't you introduce yourself? Let us know about Suspicious Fish. My name is Sarah Fresk. I live in Verdun, where Suspicious Fish is primarily operated out of. I've been uh, working with fish, I think, 10 years now, first as a volunteer, and then as we became a nonprofit, I was part of that process. And now I am project administrator. So I do some, you know, behind the scenes stuff. I help organize programming and getting everything set up as it should be. I started out facilitating and now I'm kind of doing the back work. So making sure other facilitators can can do the work. I should say that I'm on the board of Suspicious Fish, so I've seen some of the journey from, I guess, in the last five years, six years, I've lost track of time of how long I've been around. It's been great getting to know you at Suspicious Fish and also seeing grow. Maybe, Sarah, though, you can tell people why, what is Suspicious Fish, because I don't know if people know quite yet who we are and why are we called Suspicious Fish and what do we do? Yes, yeah, Suspicious Fish is not necessarily the most informative name but it is a really fun name and we are named that because our earliest participants came up with that name and it's also really fun to say and we are a uh, creative writing and literary arts group we originally started out as a group for kids operating out of Verdun elementary school but with our expansion um, into a nonprofit, we've expanded our services to include teens adults seniors, basically anybody that has a story that they want to share. So we offer storytelling workshops. Our goal is to promote literacy through storytelling and by through developing each individual voice and allowing people to voice their own narratives. And our goal would also be to kind of affect community change through the storytelling. Suspicious Fish started at Redon Elementary and then it grew. Their programming is happening online mostly, of course, because of the pandemic. How was that shift from in-person working with kids and seniors and community to online programming? It was definitely challenging. We're not necessarily the most tech-savvy uh, group of people, but it was also pretty, pretty eye-opening. It kind of allowed us to expand our reach in a way that we wouldn't have been able to just if we were only operating in person. So having people in different areas like outside of Verdun and outside of even of Montreal. And so kind of reaching our programming a lot farther. It also kind of allowed us to have intergenerational workshops where as before it was only, only kids workshopping together and only uh, seniors workshopping together. But we had a, during the winter of the, of the pandemic, we had um, a workshop that included kids for that were as young as eight or nine and up to participants that were in their sixties, not always working on the same project, but always at some point in the, in the same in Zoom chat and, and interacting with each other and playing with words together. And that was pretty awesome. We got some really hilarious Zoom recordings out of it. And we got some amazing writing as well. What's your favorite part about Suspicious Fish? I've thought about this question all night and it's really, really hard to choose because there's so many great things. I 
think I have to say that I love the kids' stories that come out of it. I read the books. Our, our past anthologies have been only the kids' stories, and I read them to my son and my niece's nephew, and we laugh our heads off. And kids telling stories, they come up with the silliest but also most profound ideas and, and narratives, and stuff comes out of nowhere, stuff that doesn't seem related all of a sudden is in one story and somehow it works and it can be hilarious and sad and just really, really exciting at the same time. It's really cool. You brought up the anthologies. One of my favorite memories of joining Suspicious Fish is, is seeing the launch of the anthology. So every year, all of the, the stories put together or selection of stories are put together. And when I joined, I got to help organize one of the anthology launches, which usually has adults who act out the, the stories in the book. But we also got to go to one of the meetings of the borough. A student read out the story to everyone who was at the, the meeting. There was lots of people there. It was a special moment where the, the kid, the participant got to be celebrated and also share their story to the mayor, to counselors, to different people in the community. And walking out of that uh, meeting, a parent who went there just to, to see their, their child read just was so surprised that these borough meetings were happening. And so it made a greater connection between what Suspicious Fish does, bringing together storytelling, encouraging people to tell their stories, but also celebration of community and making connections of people can actually participate further in the community. So I really thought it was so special to, to witness that. And it's one of those things that made me want to be part of Suspicious Fish even more. Well, that's kind of, that's like one of our, our, our main slogan is strengthening community through story. And that's kind of exactly what happened. Um, I, I remember that, that rural meeting and yeah, the, all of the people that otherwise maybe wouldn't I've known about suspicious fish as well. Like not just me, uh, me also, I didn't know both these meetings until going to it, but then all of these people at the meetings probably didn't know about suspicious fish and probably didn't know that there was the place, you know, where you could tell your story if you wanted to share and, and just bringing everybody together to hear a child's story. I can't help but think that he felt really important and listened to, and I hope that it was a meaningful experience for him. It's the 10th anthology that's just released. Can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, it's very exciting. It's been a couple of years in the making, so we have lots of stories. It spans two years, which in the past we've had done every year. We had done an anthology, but as, of course, there's always hiccups. So it spans uh, 2019 and 2020. And we even have some stories that are out came out of COVID, out, out of blended online programming it with some in-person interaction. And we have illustrations done by uh, our wonderful illustrator who worked very closely with the stories to try to capture the kids, the images that the kids were, were presenting in the story. I'm so proud of this book and it's, again, there's so much stuff, so much funny stuff and so, so much serious, profound stuff that you don't expect maybe the depths of it to, uh, to come from children. But then at the same time, it's really, really fun. I think I'm the most proud of this book out of all of the anthologies that we have. It's really a great book. I love looking at the illustrations inside of it. So what are you doing to celebrate the anthology? I know that there's some things that were prepared over the, the last few months? Uh, so as you mentioned, we always have done a book launch in the past. And usually it's a big community event and the kids come and watch their stories read. But obviously with COVID, we couldn't do it the same way as we always have. So 
Zoom was once again our friend, and we were able to have actors record themselves reading the kids' stories and just hearing it come alive through like an, an animated adult voice and hearing the kids' words come out of them. It, it's so funny. And I think sometimes you can see the surprise even on the actors' faces of what they're reading and how funny it ends up being and hearing the the children's stories come out of these professional actors' voices and, and having them act out some of the... Because they can't help it. Sometimes they end up, you know, acting some of the emotions that are described and it's just it's so funny to watch i keep saying funny but that's what it is i watched <laughs> them with, all with my son and he couldn't get over them he thought they were the best video he, he still talks we watch them in the summer and he still talks about the videos so actually we're going to share a couple of the clips and check out our facebook and also suspicious fishes uh, facebook page to watch all of the videos so this one is uh, Noodle Fool. It's written by Declan and read by Daniela. It's very short, but very silly. I think it's a good example of some of the writing that comes out of our workshop. My name is Daniela Sandyford and I'm an actress. And I decided to help out with these stories because when I was younger, I used to love writing and it was a great way to express myself. So just getting to read these really cool, funny stories uh, from these young writers has been really nice. Noodle Fool by Declan. One time in Derp City, Noodle Fool and his friend Dino tried to get the new Lego Movie 2 video game. But on the birthday of Noodle Fool, it blew up. I was going to play that, said Noodle Fool angrily. Then he saw Spondin with his extra blowy-uppy sauce. Then Noodlefool ate the sauce. No! cried Spondin as he ran away. In the end, SpongeBob disappeared. The end. Maybe. Probably. I also wanted to share how to tell a story. It's written by Leland, read by Andrew, and it is very informative and it offers great instructions on how to tell a story, but not really. How to write a story by Leland. First, you get a paper. Then, you hit it against your face. Then, you're done. Big Kids is written by Jesse and read by Raphael. It's it's one of the ones that uh, it's very silly, but also also has its moments of, of profundity to to me anyway. Hey guys, I'm Raphael Gross Harvey. I'm an actor, and I love to read stories. This is basically one of the reasons why I decided to help. I tell stories for a living and reading stories is really a lot of fun, so I decided why not. Big Kids by Jesse. One day some kids named Jesse and Preston did bad things. Jesse was a football player and he loved eating french fries. He loved them so much he broke into a McDonald's to eat their fries and got caught by the cops and went to jail and was never seen again. Preston loved carrots so much that he went to a farm and broke into the rabbit pen and acted like a rabbit just to eat carrots because he was too poor to buy them. They were big kids, not bad kids. And then the last one would be 
Mary and Her Family, He He He, which is written by Nevaeh and read by Speedy. This is Speedy, and this next story I'm going to read is by Nevaeh. Mary and Her Family, He He He. Mary was nine, and she was already the fastest runner in the country. She had brown hair, and she wore a blue shirt and black pants. She went to school. At school, her friends also wore blue shirts and black pants. Her friends wore the same clothes because, because they were best friends. Then one December 23rd, Mary broke her leg and she felt sad. Then Miss Molly came to say, are you okay? Miss Molly was Mary's mother. She said, I'm okay. I'm just a little bit sad because I broke my leg. Miss Molly then asked, can you walk? I think so, said Mary. Let me try. If I can't, then what can I do? Oh, I know, I can carry you, said Miss Molly. So Miss Molly picked her up. Whoa, you're heavy, she said. And then she started to fall. Oh no, I'm falling, yelled Miss Molly. Kaboom! Dad was watching. He ran and ran until he was almost there. He kept running. He ran and ran some more. He was so close, he could almost feel it. Then he ran one more time. He made it and said, I made it, are you okay? Yeah, we're okay. My leg hurts though, said Mary. Okay, we are going to the doctor, said Father. No, said Mary. Then they had no time to go to the doctor because they argued all day. What hospital are we going to, Mary asked. The dog hospital, said Dad and Miss Molly. No, they gave me dog medicine last time. I'm never going to that hospital again. It's the only way, said the Dad and Miss Molly again. They started walking and walking until they got to the car. Then Mary told her parents that they didn't want to go to the hospital. But then they got in the car and drove to the hospital. They stayed there for two nights. While they were there, the dog doctor was talking weird and was dressed up weird. Mary was scared. She ran away. She was talking a lot. She was talking a lot in her sleep. She felt her mom shaking her. Her mom said, you're crazy, you're dreaming. Mary woke up. She jumped and got scared. She ran out of the hospital and she ran and ran and she bumped into somebody. She bumped right into her dad. He left the hospital before to get some food. Her dad said, where are you going? I'm going home, she said. No, you are going back to the hospital. They went back to the hospital. When her mom saw her, she fainted. Then she woke up and she was happy with tears. They went back to the doctors and they took an x-ray of her leg. The end. So Sarah, those were great to share. Thank you. Where can people find the anthology? I know people can buy the book. And also, where can people watch the videos? Facebook and our Instagram have all of, all of the videos. To buy the book, you visit suspiciousfish.org and there is a form you can submit to request that we send you a book. We'll mail it to you. Um, we do ask for a donation of $25. Great. Is there anything else you want to share or, or tell us about Suspicious Fish? Well, as the school year as is well underway, uh, we are working on programming. Our next program is kind of a blend of online as well. It's called 2020 Land. Obviously, COVID affects everything. And so 2020 Land is a world where 2020 never ended. And it's almost an independent study type of workshop. So you, the participants can share as much or as little writing as they want, um, 2020 Land offers them a chance to reimagine the year 2020 in whatever way they want. It could have been better. It could have been worse. And 
the idea is that the facilitators are still in 2020 land and they communicate with our writers through email, through Google Docs, and to workshop the pieces digitally. And if they want, if the participants want, we share their work on social media. The program is for, for teens and like high school age kids. So it's and it also allows them to to kind of work on their they they're kind of more in control of how much they work and when they want to work and when they want to workshop. So just to make it give them more options and, and kind of uh, cater it more to to what they would want to their schedule and their needs and how much they need to write. That's I think it's a pretty unique program to let the teens self direct and then also have someone there to support them ongoing. I've never heard of anything else like it. There will be, there will also be workshops like Zoom workshops with the facilitator. But again, that's kind of at the pace of the participants. It's kind of up to them how often they want to have contact. There should be some more online programming happening throughout the winter. We're hoping to uh, also have some after school programming at Verdun Elementary, but we're just waiting to see what the protocols are and what we can do. And we'll be trying to, we'll be hoping to be in as many schools as possible in Verdun and the Southwest protocols allowing. Constant adaptation. And Gotta always add that. <laughs> has done an amazing job. We're just such a small but mighty organization. We'll put all the links in our show notes. Sarah, is there anything else that you want to share? If you ever want to get involved, just visit the website, suspiciousfish.org, and you can contact us. Our email is allthesuspiciousfish at gmail.com. We are always interested in volunteers or people that want to participate. If you want to be part of a workshop, let us know. Thank you so much, Sarah. It's exciting to have you on. Awesome. Before we wrap up the show, we better uh, send off people with a couple of dates for their diaries. So, That's right. Jamie, what do, what do we got up first? We got the Literacy Helpline. As always, reach out to the Literacy Helpline. It's a free service that provides information and support for tasks that require reading, writing, and or digital literacy skills. They can help you with your passport, your vaccine passport, make appointments, print things out. So give them a call at one 888 521-8181 for assistance. Absolutely. And uh, and next too, we have the municipal elections coming up on the 7th of November, as Jamie mentioned. And, and so you can check out from our show notes and the resources on how to vote through Elections Quebec and Elections Montreal. So you'll see a link in the show notes. So uh, check that out. Also take a look at Suspicious Fishes video series of kids stories acted out on their Instagram and Facebook pages. You can buy the anthology at suspiciousfish.org and also check out Greg Kelly's podcast. We'll put the link in the show notes. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Thanks for that, Jamie, for uh, a little note on Greg's uh, podcast. It's fantastic. She, he actually uh, interviewed uh, Kayla Newton, which we had on the podcast from Big Dreamers uh, as, as one of his last episodes. So so listeners, check that out if you enjoyed the interview we had with uh, Kayla going back a little while ago. So. Awesome. But as always, uh, check out our upcoming events, the literacy events and all of our members through their websites and social media, etc. through the link uh, literacyquebec.org members, which we'll include in our show notes. So so thanks, Jamie. We better say a quick thanks to all of our special mm. guests for coming on the show. It's been such a great episode. So thank you to Greg Kelly, Sarah from Suspicious Fish, our intern, Peter Morgan, who, as always, has been helping with the editing, recording, improving our sound, video. Yep. And same goes with the whole LQ team for all of the ongoing support. 
Yeah, absolutely. And special thanks to Jerry Legal for our awesome What's Literacy Got to Do With It theme music. We love it. So thanks, Jerry. Oh, great. And, and check out for episode three coming out uh, very soon. We've got a couple special guests coming up. You want to check that episode out. So, uh, so thanks again, Jamie. Subscribe to our podcast. Uh, write right. to us at admin at literacyquebec.org or give us a call even at the office at 514-508-6805. And, you know, check us out on, on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram or anywhere um, your social media so that we can, uh, you know, keep up the good literacy learning. Thank you, Chris. Thanks to all of you. And we'll talk to you next time. See y'all.